Hello, dear friends, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry, and today it's my absolute delight to be continuing our conversations and spotlight on the D School, the humans of the Stanford D School, and be speaking to a very dear friend, Barry Svigals. Barry is an award-winning architect. He has many decades of incredible practice and has also been a D School fellow where he's been working on this idea of moving from fear to joy and creating safety by design. He is also the co-author of the newly released Stanford D School Guide, Changing the Conversation About School Safety, which he has co-authored with Sam Seidel. Barry, hello. It's great to have you again on the podcast. What a delight to be here and be among the humans. Be among the humans. Um, <laughs> I love the work that you've been doing. Of course, I've seen it firsthand and, and been really, I think, alivened by the questions that you have been posing to people's answers. Take us into something you've been learning recently and then ultimately, you know, what the guide and what your work has been considering around changing the conversation on school safety, particularly in the United States construct and context, which as we mm. know, has a whole range of additional challenges. Well, that very first question, I, I love that question because that has been the question for me. Um, and it's, though I'd like to think that I have always been a lifelong learner, mm. uh, going to the D school and I, and the fact that you're focusing on this extraordinary place is wonderful. Going to the Z school opened up a whole new, uh, many dimensions, but a, a whole new appreciation of what learning is. And my dearly beloved uh, colleague, uh, Sam Seidel, with whom I did this book, um, taught me so much, as did just about everyone at the D school. Um, it's an it's a really remarkable environment and impossible to really do justice to in an, in a description. But one dimension that is, I think, um, an essential element of the reason why it's such a powerful generator of mm. important work is that they're truly interested in learning and not learning for a, a particular um, aggregation of knowledge, but mm. learning in a certain way for learning sake, the practice of learning. And that develops a, a sensitivity. And I hope I, I've been able to um, learn, um, mm. practice some of that uh, myself over the few years that I've um, been associated with the D school. Um, uh, that dynamic of learning for learning's sake, um, develop something we were talking about earlier, a sensitivity and an acuity to what people are saying uh, without polluting it with one's own ideas or one's need to, to uh, acquire um, some new piece of information. Mm. Uh, but leaving a, an, an opening for one's own questions to be um, amplified um, and to develop a way of questioning that um, isn't static and isn't about getting an answer, but, um, but generating actually more mm. questions. Mm. And um, I would say they are animating questions. 
mm-hmm. which is distinct from other kinds of questions. And I, and I hope uh, um, that can get across to people listening to this because the animating question um, is, is not um, a dead end. <laughs> you know, it's not a question of uh, you know, how many, um, well, it's more, more like a question of how many stars are in the sky with something you can't answer. Uh, but it's a, it's a dynamic that um, allows for a kind of work which is, um, I think, hardwired to be more effective and more meaningful. Yeah. And I would like to believe to segue into the, the work that we, we did, which was on school safety, um, that that was a very important uh, and, in fact, an essential part of the work that we were doing. Um, and indeed, the very first tool that I mentioned just recently, which uh, was the, uh, these post-it note pads of questions. And it was entitled Questions to Your Answers About School Safety because we, we fundamentally believed that um, the school safety space was um, in general pointed in, I have to say, the wrong direction, uh, or at mm. least a very limiting direction. And uh, to back up a little bit, um, I have been involved in, as you were saying, in, in, um, in designing educational spaces, um, but have always been involved in, in considering the dynamic of safety in the context of making a uh, de- developing and creating a learning learning environment that is going to you use the word enliven certainly enliven the children delight children um, mm. and students of all ages that being the most important thing so um, in the work that um, that I had done um, there was a sensitivity to various d- dynamics of what creates a, a great school that is also safe as opposed to a safe school that might be um, an educational environment that you mm-hmm. want to be in. Um, and I think that's one of the problems of the uh, of this issue is that it's been turned around. So mm-hmm. Sam got involved in it um, because he was in a school safety drill um, uh, uh, surprised by a school safety drill in a cat class, I think, of third graders, and it frightened the living daylights out of him. And he realized that the ways in which people were trying to address school safety and well-meaning had serious um, unintentional consequences yeah. that were traumatizing. Um, so in a certain sense that children who are already traumatized by the idea of these shootings that are so amplified um, are re-traumatized in, quote, the protection um, safety vices of, of um, doing school safety um, live shooter drills is what he was involved in, a live shooter wow. drill. To get that out of your head is already impossible. Mm. Um, so they uh, decided to create a fellowship, and, and I applied and, and began working with Sam um, towards something that might change this conversation. What we realized at the outset was that a fundamental flaw, which is true of many, many endeavors, is that it was the wrong problem. Uh And in fact, it was the wrong question. Um, And we so often look at um, situations from our own myopia. I mean, the old trope is uh, 
uh, to a hammer all the world is a nail. And that's true for each and every one of us. We all carry our own myopia. And the challenge for us is to keep those eyes wide open and wide mm. um, to begin to appreciate more deeply what the issues are, indeed what the questions are um, about school safety. What we came to, um, and which, which has always been in the minds and hearts of educators during history, mm -hmm. is the wish to create an environment where children can learn and learn fully, uh, deeply, and um, in, in a way that um, a way that delights them. Yeah. Um, the word joy we use perhaps overly in these. Um, in these conversations, but it's it's one that we feel strongly about and should be at the at the heart of learning. Mm. So, what is the issue with school safety? Well, it's not with school safety; it's with education and learning. The most important thing is to have an environment where children are free to learn, free to bring them their full selves to the classroom and to learn. If we look through that lens, so many of our quote, well-intentioned um, solutions to school safety um, would be relegated to the back burner. Mm. Uh, metal detectors are a great example uh, of that. One, that they, they've never been proven to be effective. Um, and two, they create this prison-like atmosphere. And three, people feel, students feel less safe and not more safe with them. And that's mm. simply one example. Um, in the school that we designed for Sandy Hook, uh, which we've referenced in the book, we tried to bring that lens to absolutely every concern that the um, community had. And it led to design solutions that were entirely different than many schools in the country, which the quote hardening of schools was just the thought of that for students. <laughs> One would yeah. not. I mean, would you harden a school? I mean, no, uh -huh. you want often as we want exactly the opposite. Yes, uh, but yeah. that's the that's the nomenclature of, yeah. of part of the schools, and so the very first um, effort that we came out with was this uh, compendium of questions to your answers to to school safety, and um, they were very simple questions. Um, well, Barry, this is yeah, fantastic. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just going on. No, and this on is here. wonderful. I, want, I would love just. Because the Sandy Hook example, I think, is really powerful, particularly for the listeners that aren't in the United States. Can you just, because I want you to do two things. One is give an example of how at, your at that time your firm, Svigal and Partners, you know, approached that in a very different way because I've heard you tell that story and it's incredible to understand and this I think, can bring life to the softening and the hardening. And then after that, I'd love you to go into the questions that actually change that conversation because it, it strikes me that that is precisely how you worked alongside what was a community in crisis and in deep grief after the mm. school shooting that occurred there um i think was it 2015 when was it when exactly was that so you take us through that journey for the sandy hook piece because i think it'll that bring was, life to I, what we're talking about that was in when we began on it, it was 2012 was the event, and um, right. just 10 years ago, it's coming on to its 10th anniversary, and and uh, our work began the following year. Um, I think I have to say, first of all, is that these efforts are 
uh, only successful if they're communal, that they're deeply rooted in, in a collaboration with people who are experiencing the um, situation that they find themselves in, whatever it might be. And this was particularly true in, in Newtown, where the first select person, uh, Pat Loder, was an extraordinary woman, um, grandmother herself, and realized that the school uh, in the rebuilding of it needed to be a school for the future, needed to be a school that was as free as possible from the trauma that the community um, experienced and yet respectful of it. Mm. So in our efforts to um, begin to design this school, we realized that there had to be a reframing. And the first month we barely spoke about the school itself because in the mood that people were in and the, and the experience they'd been through, windows were a threat. Um, mm. All kinds of things um, uh, were, were impossible for them to conceive in a school that they were um, about to build. And so we had to create a different environment from which, a different place in themselves from which they could make decisions that were 50 years out and 100 years out mm. for children who might be um, inhabiting these schools and, and be delighted by being in them. So the very first assignment we gave to a group that we brought together, by the way, an advisory group of some 30 people across section of the town, across section of the whole community, including teachers and parents and, and business people and, um, and others in the community, neighbors were part of this advisory committee. And we asked them to come to the next meeting with images of their homes, their neighborhoods, um, the town itself, images of things that they loved about mm. those places, things that they loved. And the next session we had was three hours long of people speaking with such depth about what they loved mm. and those speaking and all of those listening began to be imbued with that love of what they valued and cherished mm. in their community yeah that needed to be the basis of any design decisions that we were going to be making and the subsequent meetings all began with something that would bring people back to themselves we kept talking about remembering the community, literally bringing the members of the community back together again because it had been so severely fractured. Mm. Now, frankly, almost every community in this country, thankfully not to the extent this community, almost all communities are fractured to some degree by our fractured society. Mm. So the need is there in every circumstance, I would say for anyone beginning the design of a school to spend the time remembering the community, remembering the values that they cherish, remembering what they wish to preserve in creating a school. And when you begin from there, you're not beginning from fear of something else. You're beginning from a love for what you wish to have for your children. Mm. Um, so that's a, and, and Sandy Hook began that when we came in on every door, every door in City Hall had this sign that said, we are Sandy Hook, 
we choose love. Wow. Extraordinary. <sighs> Absolutely. Yeah. So we simply helped that along. We didn't create it. We simply took a cue from them and went with that. That's so powerful, Barry, this, this piece where, and I feel this can apply to any moment of connection, any moment of design, any visioning process, strategic planning. It's do we choose to come Absolutely. from a place of love and joy or do we come from a place of fear and scarcity or another point? So I just, I'm so taken by spending the time to commune and p- put the chairs in a circle and help people to heal and bring forth what they want for the world. Um, take us in a little bit further into what happened with the school because we'll put it in the show notes, but the school is an incredible learning environment. I mean, it's remarkable, I would say. I'm sure it's won awards and many other things as it should because it feels like, it, you know, this hardening that you speak to, I think a, a, a quick response is, yeah, you just create bigger locks and you get rid of windows and you turn this turn our learning environments into these prison-type environments, traditional prison-type environments. So how did, how did that kind of unfold in the design and then ultimately the you know, creation of that learning environment? Again, the um, necessity to include people uh, of the community and particularly the community of the school, of course, in the decision-making um, was essential, is always essential, particularly essential here. So that we shared in the path and the journey to create the school. So all the things that I'm about to mention were collectively conceived um, in a certain way. Mm. One of the ones that we often point to, um, it's, a, it's a very simple one, has to do with the front of the school. Um, which is, by the way, um, a very gentle arc um, uh, of these arms of the school that bend towards welcoming the children in. So the buses come in around this arc. Every, everything about the entryway actually is a, a whole other story about how, this, how the children come into the site, mm. uh, which had to be reimagined so that there wasn't the memory of what was, what was there before. Again, still respecting that. So in coming in, um, there are windows out to the parking lot. Um, important because windows are, in fact, a safety device. People think you can't have windows because people can see. And in fact, having eyes on the street is, goes back years and years, decades of research shows that it's actually safer to have windows looking out so you can see what's there and people can see that they're being seen. Mm. But in the front of the school, there's what we would call um, an educational component of the school. It's a bioswale. It is teaching the schools about the, the school about the um, uh, ecology of rainwater coming and feeding this. Um, essentially, it's a swale. It's a bioswale that that has in it all manner of plants that the kids come out and and look at and be and can watch grow mm-hmm. in the different seasons. And there are three bridges that come across this bioswale. And they are a memory of the bridges in the town of Newtown, mm-hmm. in the town of Sandy Hook, 
over the Pudatuck River. So it's a recall and a connection with their own community and through water, through all the communities of the world. This relationship, as you were saying earlier, to the earth, that's so important. It also happens to be a moat. <laughs> it's a moat that doesn't allow people to get across it. It's a 25 mm. foot wide moat with only three points of access that everyone yes. can clearly see. Um, so it doesn't have to have any drawbridges, <laughs> but it does have bridges. And yeah. that's a, a, a powerful safety feature in the front. And there are a whole series of them throughout the school that are like that, that I just as soon not talk about in a certain way, um, because they're part a part of the school. One other which, which we do mention is the need to have the windows down low in uh, classrooms for elementary school kids so that they can see out. Hmm. Many schools have sills that are 30 36 inches high when kids are seated they can't see out yeah it's crazy the world we brought the windows down lower but we also brought the outside down lower uh, the school goes away in the back and so the classrooms that went out in the back could take advantage of this change in ele elevation so that the ground was lower and you couldn't approach the school and and look in but mm. the kids could look out mm. so looking again at every need through the lens of serving the educational and uh environment serving the quality of learning um drives you in a in in design decision towards design decisions that are entirely different mm. than ones that are exclusively for making the school quote safe by the way and mm. we make the distinction between security and safety which is very often misunderstood by security consultants. So, so. <laughs> you can make a place secure and have it not feel safe. Yes. Being safe and feeling safe are not the same thing. Mm. So I don't know if that addresses that's one barrier. That's, 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 it. it really does. And I've just actually got some photos of Sandy Hook Elementary School design. And I'm, I'm looking at the, the swale, as you say, it's just really beautiful. And the wood facade, I think it's just so remarkable. Um, take us, take us now into the work that you've done more broadly and, and let's start with this difference between security and safety or between being safe and feeling safe because, you know, sadly the school shootings are very much a cultural bound syndrome of the United States. You know, if you're in Australia, school shootings are just inconceivable really in, in our context in the UK elsewhere. So but of course, safety is something particularly psychological safety is something that is universal for all of us. Take us through the kind of the work now that that you've done through this 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 wonderful guide changing the conversation about school safety. Well, you point of a, a, a challenging environment in which we're making schools, which is the United States, where the state in which I happen to be right this moment has more guns in it than were ever in Vietnam. Wow. Just to give a sense of the mm. challenge of this particular culture. Um, we would wish to change that, of course. Um, and it's very difficult not to have that issue be front and center. Um, the problem of it is it that it, it's so strong, it's like looking at the sun, it will blind you and it will blind you to the possibility of making other inroads into school safety um, mm. that you might otherwise. So 
we don't specifically talk about that at all. Um, however, it is in the backdrop. The other challenge is the um, way in which the media will latch onto school um, shootings as as they need to. Uh, it's 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 news that it's out in the world. The problem is the domination of it would lead you to believe that um, there are thousands that are dying um, in school shootings. Um, and one Laura um, McBain you had had on uh, pointed out that um, even one child dying in a school shooting is already one too many. That's absolutely true. At the same time, in the proportion of these things, looking at the problem, in 2019, as we state in the book, uh, there were eight fatalities in school shootings in the United States, 2019. Right. Over the previous 20 years, that number, and it's not eight, it's, it's closer to 25 or 30, has not changed. Now, that's already too many of the 53 million kids that go to school. But during that same period of time, over 6,000 children committed suicide, wow. hundreds of times more. And yet, if we look at what we invest in, we invest three times as much money in, quote, security measures that largely are unproven. And the reason why they're unproven is not that some don't do some, some sort of good. They're unproven because the statistical uh, data field is so small. You can't measure it. Mm. It's too tiny. Um, 6,200 kids committing suicide and the exponential growth, particularly in the last two years, in serious threat assessments or the assessment of serious threats is 300% higher than it was pre-pandemic. 300% higher. So it's not only the six, over 6,000 children who committed suicide, but many, many more who might have had there not been an intervention of some sort. So what problem are we looking at and what problem are we trying to solve? Mm. Um, in the very first um, educational tool that we came up with, uh, questions to your answers about school safety, that was what we were trying to address repositioning the questioning about what we consider to be school safety to refocus it around questions such as is the entrance to your school warm and inviting simple question hmm. is the entrance to your school warm and inviting are students included in your school safety in the in the decisions around school safety plans who have we forgotten Simple questions like that can drive the conversation, bring the conversation around to what might make an environment in a school more propitious for learning and safer. Mm. And safer. Um, and you were talking about the difference between um, being safe um, and feeling safe. Um, you put someone in a concrete box and they will be safe. They will not feel safe. Physically safe, but yeah, not, not psychologically not, yes. perhaps. But yeah. Psychologically, they will be traumatized. And 
obviously that's not what's happening in these schools and yet an aspect of it is happening and that question about what is the dynamic how does any school safety strategy affect the well-being of our students mm. if we ask that question we would come up with different strategies i would argue more effective on every uh, level more effective uh, but certainly more holistically uh, appropriate for the aspiration we have not the problem we're trying to solve but the aspiration that we have for our learning environments mm. that just it strikes me just how important the questions are that we ask and how it, it creates a frame from which sometimes we cannot escape and so that idea of just ask starting with different questions i think is just so so powerful take us take us into some of the strategies and the tools that you mention across the book you've spoken mm -hmm. about one of the first ones which is the kind of questionings you know questions for your answers and the post-it notes um what are some of the other tools that educators parents designers can use that can really position well-being and safety mm -hmm. in all its forms at the center of their decision making mm -hmm. The most important I alluded to earlier, which is decisions um, that relate to our schools and the education our, of our children have to be founded in our communities. And as we were saying, the, these communities are so often fractured and we see things in such a segregated and siloed way that we don't see how other dimensions of our um, environments such as businesses, such as, um, and, and people who are in the school, because uh, someone said that the most important people, if you want to get to know a school, the most important people are, and I bet you could name them, person at the front desk, the custodians, and the people in the lunchroom. They know the school better than anybody else. And it's quite clear that they do. Um, in uh, surveys that happened, um, that, that just took place um, with uh, safe and sound schools, um, they, they revealed this disconnect between what administrators thought and what schools uh, resource officers thought and what students felt. Hmm. These are things that the people at the front desk and the custodians and the people in the lunchroom would be able to tell you. Mm. Uh, what students are disaffected, whether they feel safe and what the temperature of the school is. Um, so what are, what are these devices? One, it, it needs to be communally um, uh, conceived and to be creative about including people. Um, having, for example, what might be called a wellness hub mm. in which security is spoken about. It's a part of this umbrella of the wellness of the school. So you have a wellness hub that includes people that I just mentioned, plus people, graduates of the school, mm. um, people in the community, uh, neighbors, um, and their consideration is quite simple. It is the consideration of how people feel within the school, how the students feel within the school. And under that, suggestions about school safety along with a whole bunch of other things such as how you consider discipline interesting idea mm. Mm. Uh, discipline um, 
and the difference between discipline and play. We have a Jill um, Violet has a, a the woman who created Playworks has a two page spread in there that people should read, um, mm. offering a different perspective on how you think about the creation of of quote rules and the participation of those who have to receive them. Mm. Wholly, wholly different, wholly different mm. approach. Um, but just to, to get into the, the, the book, there, there, are, there are three things that uh, interrelate, really the three pillars of, um, of school safety from this consideration. In fact, it's school well-being. Um, community, that I've been talking about. Equity, which isn't, by the way, about race, though that's the dimension of it. It's about kids who learn differently or otherly and kids who, who may come with all kinds of experiences in their lives that form them in different ways. Mm. Um, are we accepting of those students? Are we creating a learning environment for everyone? Mm. And what's interesting is, and one of the architects who I admire very much, Todd uh, Ferking, who um, is with a wonderful um, architectural firm, DLR, said, you know, it's interesting. Um, when you simply create a level playing field, it's always going to be higher than what you had before. Hmm. Isn't that great? I mean, that's not exactly his quote. I should try to find it, but it's something <laughs> along those lines that if you level the playing field, it's going to be higher. It's not lower. Hmm. It's higher. Um, and the last great thing is, is, is well-being. Um, and they're interrelated. They can't be separated. Um, and so those are the transcendent values that we, we need to remember and hold close to ourselves in making any decisions about a school, let alone about school safety, uh, that it's under the aegis of those three. And then in the book, it goes into greater specifics with strategies that can deal with um, issues that people come up with um, and, and, and respond to them in the context of community equity and well-being. Mm. Uh, just so we begin to see it. One, one of the most important things is the recognition of it. To be conscious of um, our circumstances already points us in a direction that's going to be more directly ameliorating to what we, mm. we wish to address. It's just a formula. That's wonderful, Barry. It, that reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Carl Jung, actually, which I'm sure you know, which is, until we make the unconscious conscious, it will drive your life and you will call it fate. And I feel the same is true of organizations and of all societal structures. Are we conscious of the zeitgeist, of the culture scape, of the water, as David Foster Wallace would put, which is something I learned from my time at the D school. You know, this idea that fish are swimming in water. Do they realize that there's water? <laughs> you know, this idea of bringing forth, I think, the possibility actually, and bringing that mm. from a place of joy, love, connection uh, as ways to resist in place, I think, from some of the challenges that we see. I would love for you to try in your beautifully gentle, articulate way to leave us with a take-home message from, you know, this particular initiative and this work that you've been exploring and creating alongside Sam for the last few years. What did you want to leave us pondering? 
Well, I'd go back to where we began to a certain extent to remember, which I think we need to do all the time, remember what we cherish most and hold that dear. And if we do, our actions will stem from that place, that place of what we love. And it's by definition, it's axiomatic. Um, it changes everything. Mm. Barry, it's such a joy to learn from you, I think, across this journey. Um, and I should also note that, you know, you are an architect, but you're, you're many things, actually, an artist, a musician, a thought leader, a collaborator, an author. Um, soon soon to display your art in Italy, in some hill town, which we were talking about pre-recording. So it's been a delight to speak with you today for this. And thank you for contributing your work and your ideas to this community and to the world. Well, thank you, Luke. And let me just say that everything I've said, um, other people have said. And I'm, I'm simply playing it forward. Um, so I've, I've, I've all these things I've learned from others, which mm. has been a, a great joy for me. Well, I am learning from you as well. So thank you again, Barry. Um, Barry Swigals is has been a fellow in residence at the Stanford D School. To find out more about his work, please visit Barry Svigals, S-V-I-G-A-L-S dot com and take a look at some of the wonderful ways uh, and work that's been created um, check out to the show notes uh, where we'll have a few links to some of the, the pieces that Barry spoke to, including the wonderful new guide that's been released, changing the conversation about school safety. Thank you again for listening to the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry, and this D-School Spotlight continues. We hope to see you soon.